Good morning. Just want to make sure you're awake. Book of Revelation. You might like to turn there with me. We're up to the the fourth church, the church of Thyatira, but let's do a recap on the book of Revelation so far. We have the risen, fully glorified Lord Jesus Christ in all his majesty, in all his power, all his authority, all his righteousness, all his love. The risen Lord appears to John during the, the Roman imprisonment that he was in on the island of Patmos around 95 AD. And we've looked at this appearance. But at this appearance, the Lord commissioned John to write what we now know as the book of Revelation. To give it its full title, it's the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. The apocalypsis, you remember, the the revealing of Christ. Up until the Lord gave John this message to write, No one knew about what was happening in the Lord, the risen Lord. We knew the Lord uh, in the Gospels. We we have the Lord working on this earth. We had the Lord crucified. We had the Lord taken up. But until this apocalypsis, until this unveiling of Jesus Christ, there was no word of what the Lord was doing. And so John was ordered to, to write this book. Not only that, he was given the outline. Now, if you have tried to prepare a sermon, it's a wonderful thing to be given the outline. Be right, Jeff? Someone to come along and say, this is the outline that you need to write. And this is what he did. Look back at uh, chapter 1, verse 19 of Revelation. John was first told, the first point was to write the things which you have seen. What had John seen? Well, he'd seen the Lord himself. In all his glory, in all his majesty, read with me all as I read, just follow along in verse 12 of chapter 1. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. So John wrote all that down. He'd seen it and he was told, now write it down, John, I want you to put it in this, uh, in this letter. And then in verse 19, John was told, after writing about the things you have seen, now write about the things which are, the things that are happening now. And so he wrote a letter that was given to him, the words were given to him, to the seven churches in Asia Minor, and that's what we have in chapters 2 and 3, that's where we're in the middle of at the moment. And then John was told to write in verse 19 the things that will take place after these things. That means from chapter 4 onwards, the Lord was, uh, John was asked to write by the Lord these things, things that had never been revealed before, things that weren't written down in the book of Revelation we would have no knowledge of. 
the Apocalypsis, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It shows us all the things that will come after the church is raptured. The complete revelation of Christ in all his glory, all his power, all his majesty from chapter 4 onwards. We're up to the fourth church, the church at Thyatira. And so far in the letters to the churches, the Lord has encouraged each of the three previous churches to do some things. And the first one was Ephesus, and they were told and encouraged to remember their first love. They'd fallen away from it. The Lord then urged the church at Smyrna to remain faithful in the midst of the suffering that they were going through. Remain faithful even though things are happening on the outside of the church that is really hurting you. Be faithful in the midst of that. To the church of Pergamum, the Lord commanded them to remain faithful not to the outside tribulation that was coming upon them but the inside tribulation to remain faithful to the truth in the midst of the false teaching that they were getting and tonight we're up to the fourth letter the church of Thyatira you might like to turn there to chapter 2 verse 18 it's the longest letter to the smallest city revelation 2 18 now begins and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write this just a little bit about Thyatira not much it was a military town it was known for its uh, many guilds and many trades in fact the the trades were set uh, guilds were set up for each of the workers each of the trades that were there in the city very much like our union movement today so each trade had a guild now, whether it be wool or linen or leather or bronze or pottery or baking or dyeing or slave trading, whatever it was, they would have a guild for it. And wherever these guilds were found, along with those guilds were idolatry and immorality, which happened to be the two great enemies of the early church, idolatry and immorality. They were nearly always present amongst these guilds. Now, there's only one other mention of Thyatira in the whole of the Bible. Do you know where it is and who it's for? You can say. Too scared. You'd be on tape. I thought you would all yell it out. Acts 16 tells us that Paul's first convert in the city of Philippi was who? Lydia. And where did she come from? Thyatira. <laughs> that's the only mention of this city in the whole of the Bible this woman called Lydia she was described as one who sold purple cloth in her hometown she would have belonged to the dying of purple cloth guild at some stage before her conversion she would have been mixed up in idolatry and immorality that's the city of Thyatira not a big city, a very small city a big letter we're going to read, but it was full of immorality, full of idol worship. And so, verse 18, as we go on, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write this, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this. So where did that description come from? It came from chapter 1, we read earlier, didn't it? As John was gazing at the risen Lord, the glorified Lord, 
That was a part of the description. And now the Lord himself is saying and using that description to write to this church at Thyatira. What is the, the idea? Why would he use the, his eyes are like a flame of fire, his, his, his feet like burnished bronze? Well, it doesn't take much thought to think that his eyes are like a flame of fire. Can you imagine the, the piercingness of his eyes? A flame of fire, a, pierce, a piercing look that, that can go through any cover-up, go through any disguise, go through any of the pretensions of the people of this church. He can get right to the heart of what they're doing and what they're thinking through this, this uh, eyes like a flame of fire. His feet like fine brass, feet that can trample sin, severely punish that which is wrong. It's a sign of judgment. But did you also know and notice that the risen Lord called himself the Son of God? This is the only time that this appears in the book of Revelation. Why did he call himself the Son of God? Why this church? If you look back at John's vision, and I've already read it in verse 13 of chapter 1, John said, I saw one like the Son of Man. So in that description, Christ is described as the Son of Man. The title emphasizes his humiliation, his identification with us as believers, our, our merciful high priest. That's the identification that he had as he stood before John. That identification, the Son of Man, offers encouragement to us. But in the opening to the letter of Thyatira, his emphasis is not on his humility, not on his humanity, but on his deity. Why? Well, only the Lord really knows, but this approach to the church of Thyatira is not a sympathetic one. This is coming as a divine judge. He's coming before this church with his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze, he's coming as the Son of God to pass judgment. There's no comfort in this, but judgment is in store for the church of Thyatira. But like in the, the other churches, there is a, a, commend, a commendation that the Lord gives these people. Look at verse 19. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. These are a series of praiseworthy Christian qualities. Pete's going through a, a series, what Christians pursue. And this would be four of them, what Christians would pursue. The love of God, the love for one another, their faith or their fidelity, their faithfulness. Uh, they were dependable, they were reliable, they were consistent. And out of faith and love grows service and perseverance. Those who love will express love through the meeting of the needs of others. If you love God, if you love Christ, then that love will outflow into the love and meeting the needs of others. Those who are faithful will steadfastly persevere in the faith. And we've heard a few testimonies of that this morning. But not only did the Thyatiran Christians possess these virtues, look at the end of the verse says, their deeds of late are greater than at first. Their loving service was becoming more consistent. Their, faith, their faithful perseverance was 
just growing stronger day by day. They were growing in grace. They were maturing in their Christian lives. And the risen Lord commends them. This is a wonderful commendation. Wouldn't you love the Lord to just write that letter to us? If you and I had been there at Thyatira, we'd have been greatly impressed by this church. I'm sure we would have. It was a busy church. It was a bustling, it was active church. There were some wonderful people who obviously manifested love and faith as well as the concern and care for others. They were involved in sacrificial ministry for the sake of others, not for the sake of themselves. This was not a church that was playing church. But the blazing eyes and the burning feet of the glorified Lord come into action. And we begin to learn deeper facts about this church that cannot be seen and not be revealed from on the surface. And I continue to be amazed with all the churches that we've seen so far and all the ones to come that no matter what they looked like from the outside, no matter what it was like when people walked through the door, the glorified Lord was looking deeper and deeper and deeper into each person with eyes like a flame of fire, with feet like burnished bronze. And he's doing that at NCC. We're a part of it. The risen Lord, the head of the church, is looking not just at what we do, but how we do it, the heart that we do it with. This church was to be commended. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, commended them. On the surface, they were a true God-fearing church. But he says in verse 20, but I have this against you. They've become harsh words or hard words since I've been looking at these churches. There's always commendation. Some of the churches are really going well, but I have this against you. I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds and I will kill her children with pestilence. In the church of Thyatira there was a woman, a very dominant woman leader. Jesus names her that woman Jezebel. She called herself a prophetess. Was that her real name? I don't know, probably not. How many of you know Jezebel's? Ladies and women that name their children Jezebel. I don't really know, but I think I understand the name to be symbolic. Why do I understand the name to be symbolic? Because like the infamous wife of King Ahab in the Old Testament, whose name is Jezebel, this so-called prophetess was Satan's agent to corrupt God's people in the church at Thyatira. Why can I say she was Satan's agent? Look at verse 
24, she was teaching the deep things of Satan within the church, calling herself a prophetess. Therefore the Lord branded her with the symbolic name Jezebel. I love how Dr. Lee describes Jezebel. He writes this, I introduce unto you Jezebel, that slithering, snide serpent, coiled beside the throne of Ahab the king, whispering in his ear, tempting him to do that which was displeasing to his God. It's the same in the church of Thyatira. That's the whole reason I believe that the Lord says, that woman Jezebel, a slithering, snide serpent, called beside the people of the church, whispering in their ears, tempting them to be displeasing to God. What was her teaching? It says there, she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now we're not told what she's taught. We're not told how she taught it. We're only told the outcome. And the outcome is that she's leading my bondservants astray and they're committing acts of immorality and they're eating things sacrificed to idols. You can surmise some of the teaching. It may have been that she was teaching how to compromise with these, with these guilds and still, become a, still be called a Christian. You know, committing acts of immorality, eating things sacrificed to idols, which is what the guilds would have been doing. You've got to understand these guilds, if you didn't belong to them, then you couldn't work. You couldn't be, a, if you were a, a leather maker within the church, if you were a Christian and you, you, you made leather things, you could not buy or sell unless you were in this guild. So maybe, maybe she was teaching them how to not lose their jobs by doing this and yet still can, you can be a Christian. She may have taken the twisted antinomian view of God's grace, you know, that arguing that it doesn't matter if Christians sin, doesn't really matter since God's going to graciously forgive you anyway. So eat, drink and be merry and, and do what the guild says for tomorrow God's going to forgive you. She might have been teaching that. But there is no specific content of her false teaching. But we do know it led the believers astray from truth and righteousness. But I want to point out here that we don't get bogged down on her teaching because what the risen Lord had against his church was not the false teaching. He's going to take care of that. We're going to see that, that the Lord will take care of that. The false teaching within the church, the Lord will purge and we'll see that coming up. But what he has against this church is the tolerance of that false teacher. It says there, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. You allow, you allow her to teach. That's the thing the Lord had against his church, was tolerance. The leaders of the church, and I include the congregation here because the congregation is a part of the church, but the leaders of the church probably were saying, let's not touch this, let's, let's just learn to get along. We must tolerate this woman Jezebel for the sake of the, the peace of the church. What would happen if we did something? All her followers would leave and our, our giving will go down. Let's just tolerate it. Let's just, for the sake of unity, 
tolerate this woman. But Jesus said, I have this against you. You cannot tolerate that woman Jezebel. That's a problem that church leadership has to, the, to face in our day today, just as it was faced in the first century at Thyatira. But at times it's just not being done. Church leadership today find it easier to tolerate teaching they know to be wrong to keep some kind of false uh, unity within the church. Let's not make waves. One church I know where, where the elders tolerate women in authority and would have women pastors. I know they tolerate it. Even though 1 Timothy 2.12 says, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Yet we have churches tolerating that. There are churches that approve of homosexuality as an alternative lifestyle because we have to be tolerant to all people. And what about 2 Corinthians 6.14? Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Yet I candidated for a church that asked me, do you think it's okay for a Christian to marry a non-Christian? And I said, we do because it's great evangelism. Go against God's word. Because once it happened that they got together and the person became a Christian. So it's all right. You can marry a non-Christian. It's great evangelism. The word of God is the word of God. No church should tolerate teaching against the word of God. Back in chapter 2, verse 2 of Revelation the elders of Ephesus had rejected these false prophets, these false apostles. I know your works, remember in Ephesus, I know your works, your labour, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. The people at Ephesus were doing the right thing, but the congregation of Thyatira were tolerating this self-appointed false prophetess and her teaching. They were bearing those who are evil. So this church, pointed out by the Lord, had the problem of tolerance in the church and that's why Jesus condemned them. Certainly the teaching the Lord will deal with and I'll show you that in a minute. But the problem was the tolerance, the tolerance of the leaders, the tolerance of the people within the church. You allow, you tolerate that woman Jezebel to teach and seduce my servants. Again, the teaching is not the focus here. It's the tolerance they had in allowing that teaching. But then the Lord says something that I know I'm grateful for. The start of verse 21 says, But I gave her time to repent. Do you know how loving and compassionate and long-suffering and merciful our God is, that he would give a person who was like Jezebel, that woman Jezebel, who were teaching his own people to be led astray, that he would give him time to repent, or give her time to repent. Do you think you and I would do that? 
I don't think we would. I don't think I would. But the Lord said, I gave her time to repent. I wanted her to repent. I desired her to repent. I gave her time to do that. And it's amazing to think that the Lord was so gracious to one so wicked and yet I'm grateful. Why am I grateful that he gave, was so gracious to, to give that to one so wicked because my sin was no different. My acts of selfishness, my wickedness were no different. In my case, the, ga- the Lord gave me 35 years to repent. I gave Steve time to repent. And praise the Lord, he did. He gave me 35 years. He gave this woman Jezebel, he said, I gave her time to repent. And the only difference between me and Jezebel is what the rest of verse 21 says. And she does not want to repent of her immorality. The Lord gave her time. She didn't want to. The Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, was long-suffering even in her case. But she refused. And her blunt refusal to repent is going to lead to a terrible judgment. The blazing eyes and the burnished bronze feet of the Lord says in judgment, because there is no repentance... Verse 22, behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. Now that actually is a lot worse than what it sounds because Jezebel refused to repent. Christ declared, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. But the word of sickness in your Bible are probably in italics, which means that they weren't a part of the original manuscript. It should have just said, I will throw her on a bed. And so, of sickness was supplied by the translators. And when you take the context, in fact, in the light of the finality of Jezebel's refusal to repent, it's more likely that the bed refers to death and hell. I will throw her into hell. An ultimate place for those who refuse to repent. She makes her bed, and now she's going to lie in it. She was given time to repent, She decided, that's not for me. And so the divine Lord, the Son of God, in his judgment, with his blazing eyes, says, no repentance, then you're going to hell. The Lord was going to take care of Jezebel, or that woman Jezebel. But if we go on, the divine judgment was not only on Jezebel, but also on those who committed adultery with her. Look at verse 22. Behold, I will throw, and then we have Jezebel, but then we're going to see that I'm going to throw those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. Literally, this is the idea of those who are following after her, those who are learning from her, the Lord threatens to cast them into great tribulation. To commit adultery in this way is going back to the Old Testament when the Jews were committing adultery against God by taking after other idols. Here in this church, people were committing adultery by going after other teaching 
instead of the teaching of the Lord and the Lord calls them adulterers. You go from my teaching to this lady's teaching, you are an adulterer. But he gives them a chance. He says, unless you repent. He says, repent of this, otherwise you're going to be thrown into great tribulation. Now I want you to understand this tribulation is not the eschatological tribulation that we're going to be looking at from chapter 4 onwards. This means they're going to be thrown into distress, into trouble. And we've heard from the communion table. Those who went to the table wrong, some of them sleep, some of them die, some of them have sickness come upon them. And so if these people who are following the teaching of Jezebel don't repent of that teaching, then the Lord is going to throw them into distress. He's going to throw them into tribulation. He's going to throw them into trouble. You see, since these were sinning Christians who'd believed her lies, the Lord's not threatening to send them to hell as he did the false prophetess. He promises to bring them severe chastening as a father would chasten his children, as it says in Hebrews. Possibly to physical death. We can't leave that out. As it was read this morning, some sleep, some have died because of the way that they took the Lord's table in vain. And so those people, if they don't, if they don't repent of, of following her teaching, then they're going to be given great tribulation. As Christians, they have a chance. But there comes a third group facing divine judgment in verse 23. I will kill her children with pestilence. These aren't biological children, these are spiritual children. These are people who have been born out of her teaching, people who are not Christian, people who have taken her teaching and is now walking in that teaching. Her children, her offspring out of that teaching. Not Christian. And as the Lord did with Ananias and Sapphira, he threatens to kill these followers of the false prophetess with pestilence. Literally, it means kill them with death. That's what the the literal Greek word for pestilence, kill them with death. It was too late for Jezebel. Her heart was unrepentant. But the Lord Jesus Christ mercifully warns her disciples to repent. There is still time. If you do not repent, there will be tribulation. There will be death. There will be distress. I will deal with it, the Lord is saying. I will deal with the church. He didn't say to the elders, the elders, you need to do this. Leaders, you need to kick them out. The Lord in his graciousness said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it by putting Jezebel in that bed. I'm going to do it by asking the people to repent. And if not, I'm sending distress. I'm going to kill her children with death. I will clean and purge this church, says the Lord, the Son of God, the one with blazing eyes, the one with feet of burnished bronze. In this letter to the church of Thyatira, we learn that the risen Lord will do whatever is necessary to purge his church of sin, even to the point of taking the lives of false teachers and children of that false teaching. 
The Lord's not going to allow his church to be brought down, particularly this church at Thyatira. But this letter should also warn us as Christians who are following false teachers to repent of our sin. It's a warning. It might have been written to Thyatira, but at the end, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to you? The churches isn't a building, it's you, it's, it's, it's us, it's everybody. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this church is telling us that we should not follow false teaching. The Lord will deal with it. They will face divine chastening. And I want us to remember again that all this comes about because you tolerate the woman Jezebel. You leaders, you people, you're tolerating this. So why did the Lord deal with Ananias and Sapphira the way he did? Why does the Lord deal with the woman Jezebel and, and the disciple, her disciples the way he does? Look at verse 23 and it tells you the story. The reason he did it is that all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your works. He judges the Thyatiran church so that all, ch- all churches, everyone that reads this will know that he's the one who searches minds and hearts. He's the one with the blazing eyes. He's the one that is going to give to each one, that's each one in the church, according to your works. He judged the Thyatiran church and every other church that reads this are now warned against the evil of tolerance, the false teaching and following it. And I don't have to say that includes us. Nothing can be hidden from the penetrating gaze of the Lord of the churches. He searches. He, he searches your mind. He searches your heart. And he will pay, at the end of that verse, I will give to each one according to your works. I think today we need in the church a revival, a revival of the fear of God, that old-fashioned holy fear, the reverent fear of a powerful, mighty, holy God who cannot and will not tolerate false teaching and who looks upon us with those gazing eyes, those eyes of fire. But again, notice the good news in verse 22. All this death, all this suffering, all this tribulation will only happen unless they repent of their deeds. The Lord always gives everyone an opportunity for repentance. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And sometimes we need a slap in the face that says, Wake up! And to me, these verses are a slap in the face where the risen Lord The deity, the Son of God, looks upon a church and sees the hearts of the people and the minds and and dishes out what is coming to them. But not everyone in that assembly listened to that woman Jezebel. 
And so he has a special word for them, a special word that I find so gracious because these people were in the church and in a way they were probably tolerating it even though they didn't follow it. But this is what he said to them in verse 24. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, so not Jezebel, not the adulterers adulterating with Jezebel, not the children or the offspring of Jezebel's teaching, but the rest of them who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. This is a wonderfully sensitive and thoughtful word from our majestic, powerful Lord. To those who refuse to be and have refused to be seduced by the teaching of that woman Jezebel, the Lord says, I'm going to place no other burden on you. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to purge this church I'm not going to place a burden on you all I want you to do is hold on fast to that which you have I can only assume that bearing the burden of seeing blatant false teaching and immoral living in their church and having to resist the teaching of the deep things of Satan from the Jezebel group was apparently burden enough for them to bear and so the Lord says nevertheless I will lay no other burden except you hold fast until I come. Verse 25, Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast. That word, krateo, means to, it won't be easy. It means to cling with all your might. Don't let go of the truth. Cling on to it. Don't accept the the degrading moral standards that the Jezebel group have Bring in, brought into the church. Hold fast to what you have. Hold fast to the truth until I come. When is that? When are they supposed to hold on fast to the truth? How long are they hold, hold on fast? Till he comes. How long do we do the communion table? Till he comes. What is this coming? It, re- it refers to the Christ's return for his people at which time he comes and takes his bride to be with him at, a, at a, what we call the rapture of the church, a time where he will reward those who have been faithful, who will reward those who have held and clung on to the truth until I come. This is the first mention, by the way, in the book of Revelation of the Lord's coming for his church, the event that we commonly call the rapture, which you'll Read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 if you'd like to go home and read about it. Hold fast until I come. Have communion with me until I come. We don't know when the Lord's coming. I say, if anyone wants to listen, Maranatha, may he come quickly. But until he comes, we're to hold fast to the truth that we have been given. And then to those who have not taken up the teaching of Jezebel, those who have overcome by holding fast till he comes, he adds another word of encouragement. Verses 26 and 27. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, 
To him I will give authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as I also have received authority from my father. Now this is a direct quotation from Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is known as a messianic psalm and what we have there is a reference to the rule of Christ in the kingdom that we call the millennial kingdom. We'll get to that in chapter 20. I know it's a long way away, chapter 20, but we'll get there. We'll get to the millennial kingdom where Christ is ruling with a rod of iron that we, as we can see, will have authority over the nations. And this is the promise now in these verses that if we as Christians hold fast to the truth until the Lord comes, we will be ruling the nations with our Lord. But I want you to understand that when I mention the word ruling, a lot of us go into despots and the ruling and you know, the rulers that we know, which sometimes are very horrible. But this word, because the word rule in the Greek is poimeno, that simply means that we will be shepherding the people in the nations. We will be tending them as a flock of sheep. In the millennial kingdom, we as overcomers, we as born-again believers will have a place of privilege as well as responsibility shepherding the nations in the millennium. And as God the Father gave Jesus authority over the nations, so Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, will give authority to us to rule poimeno, to shepherd the flocks during the kingdom. A wonderful encouragement to those who will hold on fast till he comes. Hold on fast to the truth. He will give us authority to shepherd the nations. And then our Lord becomes even more specific in verse 28. And I will give him, that is the overcomer, the born again believer, the morning star. This is a beautiful symbol. I don't know how many of you have seen the morning star because you have to get up before, while it's still dark. So I'm not sure how many of you get up while it's still dark, although in winter it's not hard, is it? You get up at 7 and 8, it's still dark. But you have to get up early to see the morning star. The morning star appears just before the dawn. It appears just when the night is the darkest. I don't know if you knew that, but the darkest of the night is just before the dawn. In Revelation 22:16, you might like to, to turn there with me. In the same book, just flip over a few page, pages. This is what Jesus says of himself. 22:16. I want you to turn there so you can see it and you can maybe mark it in your book and even circle uh, a part of it. Revelation 22:16. Jesus says of himself, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. What's the symbol of the, the bright and morning star? What's the, the idea that, that he is showing us? I'll also read 2 Peter 1.19. This is what Peter says, 2 Peter 1.19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. In other words, we have the prophetic word 
Do well to take heed of it because it will shine in a dark place. That is the prophetic word. And then he says, but do it until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. This is talking about the coming of Christ. Prophetically, our Lord's coming is like the morning star. It's the, big, the beginning of a bright new day. The morning star comes in this earth, we get a new light. When the morning star, when Jesus calls himself the morning star, when he comes, it's the beginning of a new era. A new heavens and a new earth. So this morning star is talking about the coming of Christ. Peter is saying, as much as a lamp at night is outshone by the, the prophetic word, so prophecy looks ahead to the coming of Christ, the bright and morning star, because Christ promised us believers himself in all his fullness. And then finally the Lord says, he who has an ear, singular, you who has an, have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not just to Thyatira, but to all the churches. And if you recall, that verse is at the end of every church in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. It's like saying, take note. Take note of what I'm saying to these seven churches. Let him hear. The Spirit is saying this. The Spirit is using these churches. Now, while the pressure to be tolerant continues to build in the 21st century, it is, we are becoming a very tolerant nation and a very tolerant church. Not NCC, I mean church as a whole. We must, at NCC, remain true to the truths of the Scriptures. It's going to be tough. It is going to be difficult because everyone out there wants to be tolerant, including churches. In fact, I think we now live in a generation of Christians where tolerance has become the religion. We must be tolerant of this. We must be tolerant of everything. Don't make waves. We should be tolerant of every belief. All roads lead to heaven. But based upon the Scriptures and based upon what this church believes in the Scriptures, that's where I will take my stand. And I will draw a line in the sand and I will be intolerant of everything else. I've heard people say genuinely in their hearts, they've said it genuinely, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. You might have heard it. But I want to make a clear statement here. My belief does not make it true or not. All it does is make it relative to me. Truth is true because it's taught in the Scriptures. And so the, the saying should be, the Bible says it, that settles it. Doesn't matter what I believe. Just because I believe it doesn't settle it. The Bible says it, that settles, settles it. And so the promises and the warnings of the four churches that we've had, and we've got the three to go, are needed in our individual lives. Because even though the, the Lord is looking at the church, again, remember, you are the church. And so these warnings, these promises that you have, 
are needed in your individual life, no matter what the church may be like. It's individually. Ephesus told us, or the church of Ephesus, the letter there told us, don't let your love for Christ grow cold. In Smyrna, we were told, don't fear the persecution of the world. I have overcome the world, the Lord says. In Pergamon, when we did that letter, we we learnt to trust the word of God to keep us strong and to keep us faithful. And now Thyatira tells us, do not tolerate false teaching. But as I said, I love the graciousness of the Lord, but although we're not to tolerate it, the Lord will take care of it. That doesn't mean we tolerate it so the Lord can take care of it, but it's just a gracious way of of him saying, I will do, I will purge my church. But we are still not to tolerate, as leaders of this church, we are not to tolerate false teaching that may come in. As people of the church, you don't live in a vacuum. You can hear false teaching. You're to take it home. You're to, to search the scriptures. You're to be a Berean. If you see false teaching, then you need to act on it. This is not just a leadership problem. The church of Thyatira says don't tolerate false teaching. And so the warning this morning is if you're still following the teachings of Satan through some self-appointed prophetess who may or may not be called Jezebel, there is still time to repent. There's still time to repent before the judge of all the earth who does right will move against you with intense judgment, either to death or to great tribulation. These seven letters, of which we have looked at four, are a tremendous practical uh, set of letters for the age in which we live. And we need to heed them today as much as they did in that first century.